Hello, friends, benders, and non-benders alike. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco, and this is Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. Friends, as you know, last week we recapped The Siege of the North, Part 1, with our friend Chris Sabat. And before we jumped into the very final season finale episode of Book 1, we thought it might be fun to take a look back at where we began when uh, a certain girl and boy found a certain other boy, a certain air bison in an iceberg, and reflect on how far we've come. And we wanted to bring in someone whose knowledge and love of the Avatarverse is well known. Someone we know who loves digging into the details just as much as me and you, Varney. That's right. And it has to be someone so smart and so delightful with such a broad knowledge of Avatar and so willing to share it with others. We could call him the Perfector, like the Professor. Clunky? Sure. Adorable? You bet. Please welcome, <laughs> joining us for what we're calling our recapaganza, Hector Navarro. Thank you welcome. both so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you for the warm welcome up in the cold north. It is an honor to be hanging out with you both. And I just want to say, it's just the best way to spend an afternoon to listen to voice actors who have amazing voices in my ear just for me, hey. talking about me. It's butter, you two. I mean, you're coming in with the intros and it's just like, I can hear the characters, but it's also <laughs> Dante, it's Janet. They sound so good. Of course they do, Hector, you idiot. This is their job. <laughs> <laughs> when you posted the last episode that we did with you and Danielle, you did say that it was one of the most fun afternoons you've had podcasting. It was. First of all, number one, we're talking Avatar. I'm doing this on my own with my friends anyway, or by myself. Number two, you two are lovely <laughs> and really fun. Aww, so thank you. thank you for claiming that I am the perfector. I will take that title and I will try to do it justice. Thank you so much. It's like the mechanist's cousin, the perfector. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I like that now he's a relative of the mechanist. For all the complications that came along with the mechanist and what he brought to the table, uh, he was very smart. Some might say a genius. Sokka said he's a genius, and he called Sokka genius. So they're all genius friends. Yeah. <laughs> also, since the last time we saw you, Perfector, it's out there. It's out in the world. The SpongeBob Binge yeah. Pants podcast. How has it been going? Tell us everything. It's been so much fun. I don't know if you guys have ever seen SpongeBob SquarePants. It's a pretty good show. It's also a wonderful show to go back and to deep dive. It's very different from the Avatarverse. But the amazing thing is, is that early seasons and season one of SpongeBob had all these amazingly talented people and they're there at Nickelodeon and things were happening at Nick that eventually just a few years later led to Mike and Brian and the teams coming together to do the first season of Avatar. Like it's not the clearest connective thread, right. but it's still a thread, which is Nickelodeon which is the people in charge taking risks and going, let's do this show about this crazy out there undersea cast of characters. We don't know if it's going to be a hit. And then it ended up being the biggest hit of all time. And then the risks of we're looking for something action adventure -y. We're looking for something right. in the early 2000s to compete with Lord of the Rings, to compete with Harry Potter. We want something like that because we've got SpongeBob. We got that on lockdown. We're good to go. We're Nickelodeon. And then enter Mike and Brian with their genius ideas and then gathering the teams. So it's been awesome to go back and get to talk to some of those folks because I'm co-hosting this podcast with Frankie Grande. We are pure fans, whereas you guys were there. You know the people that did Avatar. You were there. <laughs> 
Frank and I get to come in and be like, who are we talking to this week? Which voice actor are we talking to? Which director? Which writer? You know, who knew the late, great Steven Hillenberg, the creator of SpongeBob. So we get to hear these stories. So we have it just a fan perspective and it is so much fun. It's been awesome. Hector the Perfect, the only thing, there was a missed opportunity with with both these franchises that other networks do the crossover episodes. I know. I, I'm still missing the SpongeBob <laughs> Avatar <laughs> crossover mm-hmm. episode Listen. that when we're in the water tribe and then all of a sudden they go underwater and SpongeBob and the crew they can help solve a caper. Uh-huh. Absolutely. It's gotta be somewhere on the way to the Northern Water Tribe is Bikini Bottom, right? Like that has exactly. to be geographically sure. Come on. Missed come opportunity on. of the major crossover <laughs> episode. Oh we missed it. Dante some Nickelodeon execs are listening in right now and they're like, write this down, write this down. This yeah. is too good. This write is this down. Be huge. Huge. <laughs> A blockbuster event. Oh, that's right. Well, we have been on our own adventure. As you said, parallel lives, parallel podcasts. We have had some wonderful guests since you and Danielle, but oh, what a joy to have you for that debate. Um, definitely we were teased online for expanding the conversation about the most controversial episode of Avatar (laughs) and giving it two full, robust, lush episodes of our podcast (laughs) in defiance of skipping it, in defiance of not even watching it. We basically watched it twice. And recently, finally, we got to interview Giancarlo, the director of The Great Divide, Volpe. Yeah. And again, we added a little part of that segment just to The Great Divide. That's right. I did tell them at one of my last cons I went to, someone was explaining to me how important, maybe the most (laughs) important episode of our current times, these poignant episode, the great divide where we are in the world with such polarizing views going on, could be the most important episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. (laughs) It could be. My voice is getting suspiciously high. Could be. It could be. It was a pleasure to talk about. That is only one, though, I'm sure we can all agree, one of the very many places that we saw on this adventure through the first book of Avatar. We know that it was quite a journey, quite an adventure. How many different places do we go in the first season? You guys are currently at episode 19. It's got to be like 19 different places, right? And you know what's so (laughs) funny is it was such a challenge. And I will again refer to the good book of The Art of Avatar The Last Airbender. This is such a resource because it's every single episode, even including The Great Divide. They still give you at least a page of look at this concept art. Here's a creature, a hybrid animal we were working out on. When you get to the last couple episodes, when they finally arrive in the Northern Water Tribe, Mike and Brian and the people that put this book together, they're like, because we were so working hard to create new sets for every single episode, when we got to this location and we knew we'd be there for three episodes, we really got to relax and just show off because the Northern Water Tribe is so ornate and gorgeous and their backgrounds are sick. They're so, so good. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is you guys like relaxing? Are you kidding me? It's the most beautiful stuff so far. I know. (laughs) You're right. They're like, oh, we could finally just take a breath and get really into the minutiae of every single thing that would be part of the architecture. (laughs) Like, that's not relaxing. It's almost like this whole first season is just, I mean, it was. It was like training on the job for all these amazing artists to just get better and better and better. And by the time you get to the last couple episodes, the waterbending master and then the, the siege of the north parts one and two, everyone's just firing on all cylinders. The animation, the directing the writing. I have to mention the performances as well. 
health. Everything is just firing on all cylinders. And I'll be honest, you guys, in preparation for today's podcast, for you guys having me on, I just binged the entire season in the past 24 hours. So I'm really in it. I see it. You're But still in. trying to get myself to forget what <laughs> happened in the finale and what happens in seasons two and three. Like, train your brain to get to the rewatch level to go. Pretend you don't know what's happening and to really get into it. Yeah. I thought I was going yeah. to avoid some of the feels because I was like, I know that the stuff that hits me the hardest it doesn't happen until season two, season three. You guys, the scene with the amazing Mako in Siege of the North Part One, where Uncle Iroh is like trying to warn him mm. to be safe. I started tearing up because that's the first time ever right. since I lost my son. Yeah. And I'm like, what? I forgot he says it here. It starts getting real heavy. Ever since I lost my son. Uncle, you don't have to say it. I think of you as my own. I know, Uncle. We'll meet again. After I have the Avatar. Remember your breath of fire. It could save your life out there. I will. And put your hood up. Keep your ears warm. I'll be fine. I'm just like, <gasps> it's amazing. Dude, you guys were flexing. I'm telling you, it's Mike and Brian and the whole crew were just going, yep. This is our season one finale right here. We know what we're doing. <laughs> Amazing. So good. I do want to ask this question of all of us. I am wondering, Perfector, if you could only pick one place visited in book one, where would you go? That's such a great question because I'm going to be honest. As a kid, I was all into the adventure. But as an adult, I'm like... It's got to get uncomfortable on Appa after a while. It's cold <laughs> in the South Pole, the North Pole. You know Very what? Very cold. Yeah. Maybe I do want to head to their fire festival. I'm like, maybe I want to go there. Hot food. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I'm saying. I just want to go see a puppet show, eat some food and be like, Always oh my gosh, forever. the Avatar. This is crazy. The What's I'm happening? Going... Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go to where Kyoshi's at, dude. That yeah. place looked cool. Kyoshi Island. Kyoshi Island. Can I tell you something? What? Dante, you are backed up by the fans because many moons ago I did a Twitter survey. I asked fans where they would most like to go. And the overwhelming winner mm -hmm. was Kiyoshi Island. See, um, I knew it. Right? I mean, you definitely nailed it. I'm going to quote just one of the many, many people who said they would go there. Casey Chambers, who's at Excelsior GU, I think it's got to be Kiyoshi Island. I'd love to study the political dynamics of a separate enclave, wow. huh. distinct yet part of the Earth Kingdom. Okay. Talk about a thoughtful answer. Yeah, well, Casey, I was just going to go because it's an island and I know there's a beach there. <laughs> I thought I was the perfector and I want to go see a puppet show. I, you know, that's Casey's title. <laughs> I know. Question for you, Dante. If you're visiting Kiyoshi Island, would you train with the Kiyoshi Warriors, do the full makeup, do the full outfit? 100%. Let's do it. Let's go. Give me the makeup. Let's go. Yep. Me three. I will say, just to keep it a little more basic, a lot of delicious looking food was mm -hmm. eaten in that episode. Great they really had a spread. Sokka wasn't even enjoying it because he was all fussy, but Katara really got many, many dumplings. Very true. All right. Dessert for breakfast. These people sure know how to train an avatar. Mmm, Katara, you gotta try these. Well, maybe just a bite. Sokka, what's your problem? Eat! Not hungry. But you're always hungry. Varney, you're not trying to go visit Grand Grand in the Southern mm. Water Tribe? Just go hang out in the desolation of what's left? <laughs> Penguin surfing? Listen, 
If I'm going to go to a water <laughs> tribe, I'm afraid that I'm going to fall into the same city slicker trap as many others and go to the Northern Water Tribe and get some of those fancy, beautiful duds that, by the way, are written up very nicely in the art book. Hector, I know you know what I'm beautiful. talking about. There's several pages dedicated to that. By the way, also in that art book, you get to see Dave Filoni's final storyboard for Avatar before he went to work on Clone Wars. That's kind of amazing. I feel like that's a collector's item that they so nicely donated into the book. Yeah. And I also have to mention, too, if we're talking about the last few episodes in the Northern Water Tribe, Zuko's ice outfit is so cool. And just like all the fans, like surprised that merchandising from the Nickelodeon world just didn't jump on that. Do you know what I mean? It was such a cool outfit. It was kind of cool. Have you ever seen Winter Zuko cosplay? Have you oh, seen any I've in Matt's Winter Suit? That's a challenge. Putting the challenge out to our wonderful cosplaying listeners. If anybody wants to take a stab at a Northern Water Tribe snowsuit Zuko, I, for one, would love to see it. I guarantee you the other two people on this podcast right now would absolutely love it as well. I'm going to share in order the first runner up. Northern Water Tribe, very popular answer as well. Not as popular as Kyoshi Island. Steven Raj, for example, at Raj Steven said the Northern Water Tribe, especially the section of it where the moon and ocean spirits live. Mm. Don't make me cry. Our strength comes from the spirit of the moon. Our life comes from the spirit of the ocean. They work together to keep balance. Kevin Yu, Kevin Yu, 1218. Omashu. He is representing many people. Would love to see Omashu. Would love to see Bumi and that Mm -hmm. beautiful city. And then next in popularity... Love to go to the Southern Air Temple, say many people. For example, at Haley Love, I'd love to go to the Southern Air Temple. I think there would be so much history there. It would be a nice place to relax and meditate. A lot of people said, some of them were smart enough to say, could you get rid of the bones first? I would love for you to pull those bones out there. It's very depressing. The bones have been there. <laughs> it's a piece of history. You just maybe don't go in that room. Uh, guys, I just made a disturbing connection, and I may need you to talk me down for a second. Oh, 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 talk uh, to us, talk okay. to us. Okay, Air Temple abandoned, full of bones. That's where they met Momo. What was Momo eating? Oh. Is that where the bones were picked clean? Guys, tell me that's not the case, please. Those bones were picked clean long before Momo It had Momo been 100 existed. years. You're right. You're right. Very dark, but yeah. fair question. And then the last responses, the places that got a handful, but they didn't have those overwhelming numbers. I was surprised. I thought I remembered that Jet's Treehouse lair got a lot more votes. It actually got less than I remembered. It was kind of tied with going to see Aunt Wu mm. and going penguin sledding. It could be that Jet maybe turned people off a little bit. That's what it is. I feel like people are envisioning not just the vacation spot, but you have to kind of live through it. And it's difficult to talk about Jet and that amazing episode without remembering like the betrayal and the frustration of encountering such a cool new character and then being like, oh no, but this doesn't vibe with what Team Avatar is trying to do and this is so sad. He was trying to just slaughter a whole town. I know. It's tough. But I want to mention <laughs> again, because Janet, you mentioned him earlier, the great Dave Filoni talking about how this Art of Avatar book mentions Dave's love of Star Wars. I have to talk about this. He designed the treehouse. And in this book, it says that Dave Filoni always had an imaginative and comprehensive approach to conceptualizing each episode he directed. These sketches were a valuable resource for the storyboard artists and designers. He is also a huge Star Wars fan and would try to slip in little references wherever he could. It's literally called Ewok. There's little notes from Dave in his amazing drawings that say, like, this is definitely the Ewok houses. Who'd have thunk? Dave Filoni, fan of Star Wars. There you go. 
All right. So I feel like we've given some love to the places we went, but I do want to just circle back very quickly. I am so glad that you brought up that little Fire Nation colony in the Earth Kingdom because that was overlooked in my memory because they're there for such Mm -hmm. a short period of time. It's a cute, lovely town. It's a nice town. It was a nice place to visit. Yeah. And I do like spicy food. Love the Fire Nation people. Not the leadership at first. When Zuko takes over, it's all good. But like Those guys you know, in that little fire village was good people. You know what? Let's do a little little check-in with all the characters. Let's say we're going to touch on Team Avatar and Katara Sokka. Let's talk about Zuko and Iroh, where they are. If we want to, we can drop in a little point of reference for two very important characters in the last couple of episodes of Book One, Yue and Zhao. Let's talk about how far Sokka's come. You know, you brought it up. He can't bend. He's frequently an MVP. He has a ton of great ideas. He can be very stubborn about certain things. Certainly had to unlearn things that maybe he had in his mind about the male and female roles, gender roles in general in the world. But he does. And I love Sokka because he owns his mistakes. He has some braggadocio, but he's also totally willing to admit sometimes he's just an idiot. And I love it. And it's genuine, you know? It's not a lie. It's genuine when he's apologizing to the Kyoshi warriors, when he's like, I'm sorry if I offended you. This is a guy who had such a strong focus when he was the last eldest male in his village. He put a lot of pressure on himself, and a lot of pressure was put on him from his dad, from the other men of the village that were like, we got to go, you're in charge. And he had such a focus. Then this left curveball comes out of nowhere, which is, oh, you and your sister found Aang, and now you have a completely different mission. But he goes for it, and he gets some training with the Kyoshi Warriors, which is great. He eventually falls for Princess Yue. That's where we are right now. And he is tasked with protecting her. But right at the end of part one, Zuko gets it. Zuko takes Aang, the Avatar, and he's just standing there with his sister and Princess Yue. And like the thing I love about Sokka and the thing I love about rewatching season one is that all of the characters that I know are still not all the way there. Ah, it convenient. really feels like they're about a third <laughs> of the way to their completion of their story arc or to the to the end goal. So like, yes. but you still see the seeds. You see the seeds of how Sokka's changing, how his worldview is changing, and you see the seeds of him being this great, really smart strategist and invaluable source of the fight of the good guys. Yeah. But he's not all the way there yet. And he doesn't show up. How old is he in season one? Like 14, 15. He doesn't show up to the Northern Water Tribe like, okay, everybody listen to me. He's along for the ride, but he's still picking things up that you know are going to come into play with his character development in seasons two and seasons three. Let's not forget along the way. Putting an odor into natural gas. Putting an odor in gas. How hot air balloons can be controlled. The hot air balloons. Those are big. (laughs) And then he got an honest fisherman's job in the storm. Just went out there and worked the sea. Well, it's your joints against my brain. Then I hope your brain can find someone else to haul that fish, because I ain't coming. Then I'll find a new fish hauler and pay him double what you get. How you like that? I'll go. You're hired. What? You said get a job. And he's paying double. Double? Who told you that nonsense? 
absolutely amazing character. I totally agree with you. He is on his way. And we always talk about Zuko's arc, but a lot of the other characters have maybe not quite as defined and as gorgeous Mm -hmm. of an arc, if we may say Mm -hmm. so ourselves, as Zuko. But Katara, wow. Obviously, you see it reflected in the power that she has been able to harness, that she's been able to understand and cultivate more. It was in her. She just needed a place to learn how to do that better. Mm-hmm. And then also she's had to be humbled. We saw her steal. We saw her steal yeah. a scroll. She stole a water scroll and she invoked the wrath of pirates upon her. Love that. And we saw her crew. eat a bunch of food when everyone mm-hmm. else was eating food they weren't supposed to. I mean, listen, she broke some rules. She had to have her rebellious streak. That is what is so great about Katara is that she's definitely of our main trio. She's definitely the most goody goody. She's the most straight laced, straightforward, the one who is knows the importance of following the rules and knows what the stakes are. And yet I remember rewatching season one. And this is still the case in the fandom that like because of those seeds planted in Katara, I'm pretty sure that that's where the shipping her and Zuko came from. Because the Katara character is so, I mean, they're all so amazing. And we can see, even from the early episodes, we can see the good in Zuko. We can see that the reason that he was scarred, and that was an amazing moment in season one, is Uncle Iroh telling the rest of the the Fire Nation soldiers what the real story was, that the reason that he stood up in a council meeting and said no is because he was trying to protect right. Fire Nation soldier lives. In direct defiance to what he's just said. So you really see the like, oh, yes, this is absolutely. what happens when someone is abused and mistreated and bullied themselves. Like you can kind of draw a yep. line yep. from one thing to the next. So I am recommending the 41st Division. But the 41st is entirely new recruits. How do you expect them to defeat a powerful Earth Kingdom battalion? I don't. They'll be used as a distraction while we mount an attack from the rear. What better to use as bait than fresh meat? You can't sacrifice an entire division like that. Those soldiers love and defend our nation. How can you betray them? And I'm going to bring it up right now because I feel like we've moved off Katara. We have moved on to Zuko in a very natural, organic way. When Aang says to Zuko that he's very lonely. Yeah. He's lost his old Fire Nation friend. The fact that Aang has saved Zuko, the fact that Zuko has saved Aang, you are basically saying to that person, I can forgive you everything that you've done. I don't know why you would say that if you didn't feel that in your heart. To say, could we have been friends? That's such an extension of friendship. What does Zuko say? He just blows up a fireball in his face. Catch a fireball, back in the head. How terrifying to him to have a young person, Mm -hmm. a potential young person friend, unlike anything that Zuko has experienced in his time in exile, to have that thing that has been his only goal. That is kind of what keeps him moving forward through all the pain and misery that he feels. That thing suddenly everything's upside down. Of course he has this reaction. No, it's like all over the place. Uh, I can't I can't I can't handle it. Zuko's like, "Hey man, my only friend's he wasn't my ready. uncle." He's like drinking tea all day, yeah. and that's my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. He also loves a bargain. When you're 15, 16 and your best friend's your uncle and your only friend, you're in trouble. Yeah. The one thing 
as Zuko may have seen this objective, not even seeing Aang as a person yet, but the one thing that could get him what he wants, the acceptance from his father, is telling him, hey, but I could be your friend. That's not registering. Yeah, it's not even computing in his mind He's yet, not no. ready to forgive himself. He's not there yet. He can't even hear from Iroh how much Iroh loves him. No. And that's a person that he trusts and that he knows cares yeah. about him. He can't even handle hearing that. Yeah. He's so, in a bad situation. Like, no one likes him as own. He's allergic to love. You know what I love about... What we're talking about, too, is that it does go back to the audience can see the good in Zuko because this is the episode where he was the blue spirit. That was real cool, Zuko. That's such a a huge thing for Zuko. And to step outside your own identity can be so empowering because it allows you to take that step away and to have that perspective. It's like, would Zuko have saved Aang? Or was he only able to make that decision because he was the blue spirit? Yeah, the blue and that spirit. separation gave him the to courage an to ego. do that. Yep. But where we are with Zuko now is yeah. he has captured the Avatar. It's so badass. It's so mm. cool. Carrying him as he's yeah. in the Avatar state into the unknown, into the snow, where he, we don't know what's going to happen in part two. We don't know if things are going to turn out the way that Zuko wants them to or if, if it's going to yeah. slip out of his fingers again, you know? But it's such a great place to leave that character that he was... And, and thought to be dead. The one good thing about Zuko is he's been talking about catching the Avatar yeah. all season, and guess what, you guys? He did it. Got, Got him. You rise with the moon. I rise with the sun. Yeah, he just had to be fully unconscious <laughs> and in the spirit world for, for Zuko to be able to contend with his lifeless body. <laughs> that is how he was I able got to him. him. It's cold outside. This guy's knocked out, but it's on you my back him. and I'm carrying him through the snow. A win is a win is a win. It counts. It counts. Now, we, of course, talked about Iroh moments ago. Yeah. He is perhaps the hardest character to not want to foreshadow mm-hmm. report right now right. because of what is about to happen in the final episode. Everything changes. It's not to say that those sparks weren't there, that we didn't see where he was going. Foreshadow report. We're not going to get into it because we got a lot to talk about when we do that uh, episode. But, I mean, chills. Yeah. The beginning, Perfector, we talked about how it seemed like Iroh was just buffoonish. Yep. He was like the nurse in Romeo and Juliet. Like, we don't even know mm-hmm, how serious mm-hmm. his role is. He's like there to, in a very comedic way, babysit his nephew. And then in the last few episodes, you're getting knowledge dropped about Iroh that is like yep. way heavier than we thought. It shifts into it shifts. a higher gear and Whoa. you feel that happen. You feel the intensity of that. It is masterful storytelling. It truly is. The way they drop those breadcrumbs, it's so artful because I think it would be really hard not to just want to like data dump that early on because you're so excited about it. It's so good. (laughs) It's just the right amounts. And he is so, so cool. We've seen more and more parallels with Iroh and kind of his relationship to the spirit world, potentially his relationship to art and Mm -hmm. music and playfulness and mischief. We see who is Iroh the most like in our cast of main characters. Can we all agree? The answer is Aang. He's the most like Aang. Yeah. Yeah. He's the most like Mangiazzo in certain ways. Yeah, I can see that. He is balanced, and I think that uh, talking about that restraint that the storytellers had to not 
reveal everything, like you said, Janet. It is like the Marvel movies not having Captain America lift Thor's hammer until the final, (laughs) that level of restraint because it is so juicy and so good. But I still think that you can see that the character is deeper and more complex and he's just in a place of peace and balance similar to Aang or the whole idea of the Avatar even in this first season and his journey is really interesting because he's just trying to have some tea he's just trying to raise his nephew right and he has these really difficult challenges that get put in front of him but he's still kind of playing ball he's still like yes I'm part of the Fire Nation yes this is the way we have to do things and but here's the deal that fatherly persona comes out when Zuko challenges Zap. do it That's it? Your father raised a coward. Next time you get in my way, I promise I won't hold back. And that duel where the amazing Jason Isaacs tries to come back at him when the duel's already over, but then Uncle steps in, I feel like that was the first moment where you go, what is this guy about? He's way stronger than he's letting on. He is simmering with this power. And then later... Dragon, Dragon of the, of the West. West. What's happening? He gets captured and he's like, my shackles are too loose. Like that whole sequence. <laughs> yeah. Don't remind yeah. Dante of that. He's cloth. still feeling it from just... That's my best friend in the loincloth right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Iroh presents Zuko with opportunities and choices. Yes. And Zuko right. has made some of the wrong choices in season one, but some of the right choices where he decides to let go of the obsession of getting the avatar to go help his uncle, to yeah. ensure that his crew can get through a storm. That is what Iroh represents as well. And the other thing I didn't notice until this rewatch is in one of the final episodes, Uncle sings the song. He sings winter, spring, summer, yeah. and fall. And I forgot that the music team did this, you guys. The score itself is using that motif throughout the last few episodes. And that, I think, like adds to the uncle is connected to the spirit world. Threading him in, yes, 100%. Even what he's saying thematically, winter, spring, summer, and fall, this has a lot to do with what they're doing in these last couple episodes and what the rest of the show is going to do. Going back to the comparison with Aang, you're absolutely right in how we see Iroh in relation to Zuko and how we see some of that strength peeking out. When we go back to Aang's memory of the Southern Air Temple with Monkey Atso, you know, we see the Iroh-ness of that. We understand Iroh to play Pai Show. Here we have Monkey Atso playing yes. Pai Show. And you have those threads where, just like you said, Hector, you're braiding Iroh into the conversation. Right. Iroh sees the spirit. He seems to see Aang on Roku's spirit dragon. Yeah, yep. he does see him. Take me to Roku. What's the problem? Nothing. So you have this relationship, perhaps, with Aang. Let's talk about where Aang is in his journey. Because we know he's learning how to waterbend, but he, quite frankly, has been exceeded already by Katara and her skill. We know he couldn't handle firebending Mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. He wasn't ready. Where is he with his earthbending? There's a lot that he was supposed to have done come this period of time. And... It has not materialized in the way that he would have liked and the way he would have expected. Perfector, talk to us about Aang. Where is he I feel like I should lower my glasses a little bit to to really get like, (laughs) well, 
Well, Janet, I'm glad you brought that up. You see, so I think that Aang, especially season one, because let's be real, without foreshadowing the future, it gets real in season two and three, right? And all of these kids mm-hmm. have to grow up and kind of step up. And I think that some of the energy that Aang has in season one is rightfully so given to new character Toph. We'll talk about that when we get to season two. Like she foreshadow report, report foreshadow but report. I was going to say that I believe that Aang season one is the best example I have ever seen in media of the little kid destined to save the world, but he's still a little kid. Because the choices that he makes in this are so 12-year-old kid. He has all of the insecurities that we had when we were 12 and still do as adults. But he steps up when he learns. He steps up when he understands what the stakes are. But even his entire origin... It's very similar to like a superhero origin, Peter Parker losing his Uncle Ben because of his selfishness, because of his uncaringness, and he loses a loved one, and then he realizes it's important to use your abilities to help people. Aang ran away because they were going to take him away from his father figure because he was so important that they were like, we have to cut off your childhood, man. You got to get to work. You're the avatar. And that freaked him out because he's a kid. Anyway, this opens up to my theory of the Jedi were wrong and always were in Star Wars. And my favorite (laughs) Star Wars stuff is when they can talk about that. Taking a little kid from their family to go and train with this mystical, magical religion type of a thing. It was such Mm. a brilliant choice to have Aang's reason for being frozen for 100 years is because he ran away because he was scared. And you can't fault him for that. And it's such a human thing. And yet throughout season one, he makes decisions. He learns stuff. He thinks that he can take on firebending. He's training with the deserter, with Zhang Zhang, and then accidentally burns his loved one, Katara. And then he swears off mm-hmm. firebending. Like, he's not ready. He's not ready, he's not but ready he makes the these fire. decisions even after Katara in her journey learns that she has those healing abilities. So really, no harm, no foul in a way. He still right. is like, nope, I've decided I'm never going to do it, even though... He has to at some point. He's going to have to master that before next summer, before this comet that he's learned about. So, And then plus all of his dipping his toes into the spirit world is such a wonderful way to world build. But we're also connected to Aang because he's like an outsider to this stuff as well. Just like we are. We're learning about. It's very Mm -hmm. separate from Korra and her journey where she had all of these real expert level people that were able to help her with stuff. And she has completely different discoveries on her own. But like everything that Aang learns about the spirit world, it is going to play into the larger themes and the larger world building. And yet the way that they write him each time he does, it's like, yeah, he's just a kid. This is so overwhelming. But then he's able to overcome this. And what a great life lesson. And what a great lesson for the audience and for the young people. And my favorite example of little kid chosen one. It's all about Aang. It's so perfectly done. He's pushing forward. He's taking action even up until where we are in Siege of the North Part 1. He is so willing. He is out there on Appa the second the first fireball hits. Overwhelmed. He's like, all right, I got to go to work. The spirit is willing. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm just a kid. He's just a kid. Exactly. I'm just one kid. Again, you get that gut punch right before he makes this other brave journey into the spirit world only to be rewarded by Zuko stealing his body. Great job. Great job. Body snatcher. Got Got him. him. (laughs) Let's talk a little about two figures who are very much kind of in opposition of one another. In these last couple of episodes, we have Zhao, who is just up in it 
is unflappable, not concerned about a pesky little thing like the moon. <laughs> I hate him. He keeps getting rewarded. He went from general yeah. to admiral, and my dude just keeps yep. filling up. And I hate him. He does. That's an infrastructural <laughs> problem when evil is being rewarded. But yeah, he is good to go. And he has such contempt for just everyone. I mean, is there anyone he even respects? I guess the Fire Lord. But honestly, behind closed doors, he's mm-hmm. very contemptuous. He has his eye on the Fire Lord. He's like, I'm next in I line. I can see that. For someone who is like not one of the main characters of the series and who was developed because... Brian and Mike envisioned Fire Lord Ozai being like the main villain and fighting the war from his throne. And somebody at Nick was like, well, what if there's some other more grown up character who Zuko has to deal with and who's getting in the way? And I love that they thought, okay, this could be like almost a politician type of a guy, somebody who's definitely playing the game. And they kept picturing Jason Isaac's characters in The Patriot in Harry Potter. And the fact that they're able to get the guy, he has such a great performance where you do love to hate him and he continues to almost get there again he's not somebody who's the main character of this series but he has such a presence throughout all of season one he loses that duel to Zuko so you know what this guy's about and what kind of a cheater he is he can't capture the avatar but continues to fail upwards through this blockade he couldn't get him he employs the yuyan archers which was a great move smart on his part good move good move yep. good move yeah good move yeah those guys are real good, good. Yeah, they're very they're good, good. Well done. When you can't do it yourself, you hire the right people who can get it done. When he confronts his former master, he accidentally burns his own ships, which I just think is the perfect way to describe an ambitious villain who gets in their own way and Aang not even having to fight back. Beautiful moment in season one. You've lost this battle. Are you crazy? You haven't thrown a single blow. No, but you have. Zhang Zhang said he had no restraints. Then this dude hires pirates, man. This guy is shady. Hires pirates, pirates. to kill Prince Zuko. I hired pirates too for a yeah. little bit. <laughs> yeah. You weren't going to have anybody kill anybody, I don't think. I wasn't going to kill nobody. I hired the pirates to get the scroll. Yep. Well, Perfector, you're saying it already, but let's just draw a circle around it. Zhao allows us and allows Zuko to see the good in Zuko. Having him as a foil, if there were no Zhao, would we have the Blue Spirit episode? Yeah. Uh Who would the Blue Spirit be saving Aang from? Mm -hmm. So when confronted with someone else wanting the same thing that Zuko wants, unfortunately for Zuko, and fortunately for Zuko and the rest of us, Mm -hmm. it actually causes him to have to dig deeper and confront some of those issues and also he knows he doesn't want to be like Zhao Mm -hmm. so there's some sense of I can only see I see two steps one capture the avatar to regain my honor and be able to be a citizen of my community and be forgiven by my dad. But like, that's two things. But what comes after that? Becoming like Zhao could absolutely be on that path. And so having to confront that, even in the abstract, is a real reckoning, I think, even if Zuko's unconsciously dealing with that and not consciously. And I think that Zhao presents to Zuko the opportunity to like have uncle step in and to reinforce what kind of a man Zuko should turn out to be. Because again, if that duel didn't happen and if Zhao didn't try to get back at Zuko, this kid, and to have uncle step in and catch his foot, blow him away and go, you are without honor. To have this other adult male figure in his life say, honor is incredibly important, Zuko. 
No, Prince Zuko. Do not taint your victory. So this is how the great commander Zhao acts in defeat? Disgraceful. Yeah, yeah, if Uncle didn't have that opportunity, how much harder would Zuko be going in on capturing the Avatar season one? Yeah. Thank you, Zhao. Thanks, Zhao. Thank you. Now, let's talk about Yue. She's tough to talk about right now because obviously, like Iroh, she's about to have some really amazing stuff <laughs> happen in the season finale. So all we can say about her is, first of all, she has beautiful, beautiful white hair. hair. She's stylish. She's graceful. She's regal. She's very torn. She, like Zuko, has a real sense of honor and where that belongs and mm -hmm. where it puts her in mm -hmm. her community and her responsibility to her community. She's still a teenage girl who is having feelings and is being is in an arranged marriage. I think honesty is important. If I were in Sokka's position, I would almost take that as a, you're letting me down easy and I appreciate this. Like, I would almost rather have that mm. than Yue being like, I can't even talk to you goodbye. But if she were it's like, true. listen, honestly, I would date you. I just can't. Yes. That makes yes. me feel better. <laughs> Love that. It's better to have loved and lost, right? I agree. She's a fantastic character. We had the wonderful opportunity to speak to Johanna Brady. Right. Wonderful, wonderful conversation with her. And big, big shout out to Princess Yue for perhaps things yet to come, choices yet to come. So that kind of covers this range of big, important characters, many of whom we followed through. I'm not throwing people like Suki in there because we've only seen her once so far. Right. And yes. we all hope that we're going to see her again. Here's an opportunity to talk a little bit about some of those more mm -hmm. peripheral characters. Do you have a, a character, each of you, that uh, was... Jet. the man. <laughs> we'll talk about Jet for you? one second. Why am I yeah, even asking? I don't know why you're asking. Because I like Jet. He has that thing in his mouth always. Got a little... oh, he loves that straw. Actually, he, he got that, that one shoulder yeah. pad. Only one. Yeah. Asymmetrical dudes are the coolest dudes. So Asymmetrical. Cool. Right. Your respect for Jed is well known. Perfector, what about you? Do you have a peripheral character that calls to you? I do love me some King Boomy. Love Boomy. Love Boomy. I grew up watching Dragon Ball Z, and he's got real Master Roshi vibes. You know, taking off the robe, sure. and then he's just like, I'm jacked. Uh -huh. I'm 112 <laughs> and jacked. I love it. He's ripped, yeah. and he has really thick white armpit hair. Yeah. yeah. That's just popping out. Yes, noteworthy. A silly episode and everything, but I do love that kind of a side character because Avatar gives it to you all. It gives you the fun side stuff. It gives you like real badass characters like Jet. Also the bounty hunter, bounty hunter June. Love that character. Glad you're bringing her up. Glad Ooh. you're bringing her caliente. up. And of course, we got to speak to the magical, brilliant, basically an Avatar character walking around in real life, Jennifer <laughs> Hale, sublime human being, a yes. hero of mine. I had a great conversation with her. And in the Twitter survey I did, guess what? The number one requested peripheral character people wanted to see more of was, as Rob Pallotta says, got to be wow. June. She's a super badass, cool as a cucumber, and Nyla's the best. Also, more Jen Hale is always the mm -hmm. correct answer. That is a... Yeah. Solid tweet right there, my friend Rob. Next most popular, got some love for Grand Grand mm -hmm, from Kaylee mm -hmm. Love. Kaylee Love, I'd love to know more about Grand Grand. She wants to see some younger years. It sounds like she had a very interesting younger life moving away from the Northern Water Tribe yeah. and Master Paku, and she seems like a very strong and inspirational woman. So we've got She's some great. shout outs going to Grand Grand. Cody Middleton says, Zhang Zhang. He was such a cool character. Really cool. Very Cody cool. Cody thinks it stinks that he didn't show up much. 
I enjoy the light resentment coming from Cody in <laughs> he that He likes tweet. to be alone. He let it be known several times. Yeah. Like, I don't really mess with the regular world anymore. Yeah. That's true. I don't want anybody to worry because Suki is also very well loved in my survey. Allie at Shiny Cora would love to see more of Suki and her fellow Kyoshi warriors. She feels that Suki needs more love and it would be interesting to see the bond between her and the rest of the warriors. That's true. You don't get as strong of a mm-hmm. feeling. You get a great feeling of Suki and, and her leadership, but you don't get as much interchange mm-hmm. and camaraderie between her and the Kyoshi Warriors. So I think that's a great point. And then also big shout outs, but not as many votes for Foaming Mouth Guy, Yuyan Archers, we brought him up, the Earthbending Twins from the Fortune Telling episode. Oh, yes. Some shout outs to Miyuki mm-hmm. the Cat, the Healer's well, Cat, <laughs> Miyuki, Monkey Atso. Mm-hmm. Jet's whole Great. team in various forms. Some people just want yeah. more smeller bees. Some people want more pipsqueaks. Some people Very want cool. everybody. Cool Some people squad. want less jet and more everyone else. <laughs> oh, and a shout out to Bato. Bato of the Water Tribe. Bato of the Water Tribe. Yeah, <laughs> there's so many. You could spin off any of these characters. Yeah, and I am including Foaming Mouth Guy. Yes, I want to say too. In case anybody's ever feeling like, oh, we didn't get enough of that character. Here's the great thing about being a fan of great franchises like this, great worlds like this, is that they're still doing stories. I mentioned the comics. Oh, yeah. Hit the books, everybody. There's so many opportunities to do flashbacks, flash forwards. There's so many different things to explore in the world that never say never because you never know what kind of opportunities uh, could pop up. That's right. I just got this thought, Hector, when you were talking about Uncle Iroh earlier. When the Avatar was gone, he kind of was the Avatar. Yes. That's what's so cool about season one is that Every time Aang and crew get to a new location, you get to see how people react differently to, oh, the Avatar's here. You know, some people are foaming at the mouth and other mm-hmm. people are like, get him. And other people are like, like, it's just so interesting to see the whole world react. So it would be yes. so cool to see stories yes. set in a world sans Avatar. You know he's not going to show up for 100 years. He's either a 12-year-old Aang somewhere or it's that whole period while the war is happening. There's some great story opportunities there, too. Yeah. I want to check in with somebody else before we move on to the next section, if that's okay. Oh, sure. I would love to check in with Dante and Janet. Guys, what has it been like to be re-watching this show uh, at the level that you're going in on it? Where is your headspace right now thinking about the bigger picture of season one of Avatar The Last Airbender? How are you two feeling? I think Dante and I have had the chance after recording quite a few episodes, we got to start going to cons together again. The opportunity to really have a reason like, oh, it became our job to dig super deep and to really let ourselves be very, very passionate about the show that we loved. Just even going to those cons and doing those panels now, fans can barely get a word <laughs> in edgewise. We're just going to talk about all right. the characters and talk about what's going on in all our it. favorite places. And there were times when people would bring stuff up and we would both blank because we hadn't watched the show recently and we would just be like oh oh no I know that I have an opinion about this and I'm blanking and I guarantee you that's never going to happen again it's a very unique experience to be a part of a great show as me and Valerie both are part of this show but then also a very unique experience to go back 18 years later to really deep dive into something and get to watch it and and then interview all the other creatives that helped put the show together, being Mike and Brian and the writers and the animators and the kung fu artists and the sound design and the other voiceover actors. So it's a really unique experience and we're having a great time doing it. I kept myself blessed for sure. And I'm not quite a perfecter yet, Hector, but I'm a... You're a teacher's aide. (laughs) You could grade some papers. (laughs) 
<laughs> We've still just scratched the surface to feel like I didn't know how I was going to feel after 40 episodes of doing this podcast. And I feel so excited to start talking Ooh. about season two and to dig in and get more <laughs> special guests and get more behind the scenes, folks. I feel like we're just getting started. And that is an amazing feeling when you have been drilling this far down into a universe like this. That's how the show feels. You get to episode 19. And if you've seen all of the show and Cora one way through to go back to the first 19 episodes, you go, this is so ambitious and we're not even getting started, baby. Like this thing gets crazy. When we're talking about the blue spirit, I didn't realize this. That was the 13th episode and that was their initial order. They didn't know if they're going to get anything past that. Yeah. That was going to have to be there. Maybe this is the last one. Maybe a finale. Maybe a somewhat of a satisfying finale. And for them to tap into, okay, this has to be Aang Zuko. We have to show a little bit of there is hope there. It's just so wild to watch these early stories with the knowledge of Mm -hmm. where everything eventually ends up and where we're going in the future. Who knows? But it's just so ambitious and yet still like so self-contained is this like really fun adventure show. Each episode, season one, crazy. Yeah, right. absolutely. We have given some love to Momo and to Appa as part of our recapaganza. Maybe want to touch base with some of our other favorite or least favorite hybrid animals from book one. I will assure you that we did have another Twitter survey on this and I think I'm just going to go through yeah. these first and then you guys weigh in on how you feel about these responses. Take a guess. Putting aside mm-hmm. Op on Momo, what would you guess is the number one favorite animal from book one? I'm going to say the platypus bear. Platypus bear, first runner up. Okay. Ooh. Okay. You're very close. For example, Yo, it's Kaylin said, maybe the platypus bear, because the platypus is already a confusing <laughs> mixture of different animals. Why not add one more? I'd like the sheer shoe. Not the most aesthetically looking creature, but probably the most powerful. The fight between Appa and the sheer shoe. Sheer shoe is pretty OP. That is the next most popular (gasps) after the platypus bear. So there's still one that ranked higher than those from the folks who responded to this. But the sheer shoe is absolutely a favorite. At Leah Pokemaster says the sheer shoe is definitely the most memorable creature for me. Its design, sound effects, and its unique ability to see with its nose, as well as track anything from any distance. Definitely one of the most fleshed out creatures in the Avatar universe. Cool. So number one, and this shocked me because I... I really made fun of them for their sound. I think I know what it is. Turtle Turtle seals. seals. I should have said that. The turtle seals. Turtle seals. That is the most popular answer. At Kevin Chesley says, I deferred to my daughter, the resident expert, and she says turtle (laughs) seals because they're adorable and they have big shells. It's a great great answer. answer. She herself gave herself the credit (laughs) of giving a great answer, which I think is fantastic. And I admire the hubris of saying it's a great answer. Let me, if I may, also add to why I think it's, I guess, most people's favorites, not only the cuteness, not only the animal itself, the moment, the moment that they're in the show is in Siege of the North Part 1 when Zuko is sneaking into the city and right. it's an interaction yeah. with Zuko. Very memorable That's what moment. makes it so great is because they're all going, oh, 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 yeah. oh, 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 oh. it's probably yeah. D, He's, it's brilliant, whatever this noise is. And then Zuko goes, be quiet. (laughs) And then he walks past them and pushes their heads. And they kind of go like, oh, like they're shamed (laughs) for their noise and and feel bad Uh, about offending Prince Zuko. So I think that's why they are a favorite is because of that reactionary, like they were embarrassed. So I think that's why. Yeah. (sighs) Be quiet. Oh. 
sheer shoe in popularity. So knowing that we have uh, the turtle seals, then the platypus bear, then the sheer shoe. Following that, most popular, the koala otter. Oh, yeah. Which you do not see for very long. It's a quick hit, that koala otter. dang cute. Mm-hmm. You see it in passing, but as a person who loves otters, I strongly support that. At No My Cabbage Corp said, koala otter, I love koalas, I love otters. Imagine my happiness when I saw a koala otter. Perfect. I have to say, I agree. I think that was very inspired and extraordinarily cute. And then there were others uh, that got a handful of mentions here and there, of course. Flopsy. It's got to give some love to Flopsy. Flopsy's great. Mm-hmm. I thought there would be more otter penguins, only a handful, perhaps because we, they were so important in the first episode, but then we sort of moved past them and never see them again. So Komodo cool. rhinos. A lot of appreciation yes. for those. And uh, the Unagi got a little bit of love. And even the canyon crawlers the got canyon a little bit of crawlers. love. Too scary. Pretty scary. So those are the things that pop to mind. I should say, I say it's a poll, but I want to make clear, I didn't give right. people choices. I was an open question. Those are organic answers coming from everyone. They didn't have like a list to choose from or anything. We are nearing the end of this gorgeous recapaganza. Recapaganza. Satisfied every hope I would have thought that it would have. Let's talk about some valuable bending moments. Yeah, I got it. In book one and non-bending moments in you book one. You do yours and I'll give you mine because I got mine. I Dante know Dante is ready to it's go. It's probably not going to be as good as Dante's, but here's mine. I <laughs> forgot how amazing the fight between Master Paku and Katara is in the Waterbending yeah. Master yeah. episode. And one of the favorites of Mike and Brian, mm. if memory serves from the art book. One of the favorites. And I mean, I knew it was going to be good. When she challenged him. But then when they're doing the moves and all of a sudden Katara shoots off some ice discs, I was like, game changer. Yes, the ice discs! And it goes past Paku in slow motion and he sort of watches it go like, oh, go. It is next level. Game changer. Yes. Dante, you had one. You were ready to go. The most valuable bending moment of all of book one is a mistake with Katara mistakenly bending Aang out of the ice. Without that mm. moment, there is no You're show. right, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will say I cannot argue with either of those. They're both brilliant. Just moving into some memorable mm. bending moments, yes. I still have to go back to the Earthbenders in Very Imprisoned. Nice. Seeing them work together and seeing the rallying, protecting and and feeling empowered and, and fighting back after feeling pushed down for so long and the way they work together in harmony to accomplish amazing earthbending is so, so wonderful. And I think it's called to mind, too, when you get to the Northern Water Tribe and see some of the ways that the Northern Water Tribe members work together. There's that reminiscent of this is what we can accomplish as a group. So much stronger than one individual. Having that choreography, it feels very organic and just lovely. Mm -hmm. What about most valuable and memorable non-bending moments? I want to mention, not that Sokka isn't an MVP in season one, but I think that Sokka comes into his own more in seasons two and three. So I want to give the non-bending moment to Katara in the episode that you just mentioned, Janet, Imprisoned, because Katara and her values are so key. Uh. That speech, it is inspiring, it is beautiful, and it is the beginning of how Katara will affect the world around her and the people in her life, and it's so, so important. Some of you may think that the Fire Nation has made you powerless. Yes, they have taken away your ability to bend, but they can't take away your courage. And it is your courage they should truly fear, because it runs deeper than any 
any mine you've been forced to dig, any ocean that keeps you far from home. It is the strength of your hearts that make you who you are. What I love about this show is that it's not so simple to have people who are oppressed just see a powerful character show up and then they side with them. You have to reach people right. in their hearts and that's Katara's job because she keeps showing up in these different places going, here's the Avatar and people are like, so what, man? We've been doing this thing for 100 years. What's yeah. this 12-year-old kid going to do? But when she's talking about working together and what the Earthbenders can do and yeah. all of those steps of realization of what it means to gather together and use your power to overcome corrupt systems or corrupt governments or whatever it is, right. it's key. So yeah. that inspiring speech, I think, is like such an important part of her character in the whole show. That's why you're the perfecter. Thank you. That is a great speech. It's terrific. Listeners, tell us what your most memorable or valuable bending moments in book one are. Tell us what we missed. I mean, listen, we could talk about this for five hours, so we're never going to tell you that you're wrong because we absolutely missed some. And that's why you can keep this conversation going. You can keep it going on the Avatar Facebook page. You can keep it going with us in social media. Hector, thank you so much. I, of course, was giving you a hard time. I can't wait to have you back for season two. There's gonna be so much to dig into. You are very busy as well doing many things, including the SpongeBob podcast anything else people should know let's remind them where they can find you i want to thank you both for letting me hang out with you you guys are delightful really fun really funny and again just as a fan i because i get to speak on behalf of the fans whenever i do get to hang out with you guys thanks for doing good work and being part of an awesome shows plural you can follow me online at hector is funny and you can check out new episodes of SpongeBob Binge Pants every Thursday is when they're coming out. And we've got a bunch of fun stuff planned for next year, 2022. By the time this comes out, it'll probably be 2022. So look for it because it's happening currently. Really fun stuff. Thanks again. I cannot wait to come back. Whenever I do get to come back, I'll once again binge all the episodes from the beginning up to that <laughs> Starting point. Starting so, book one. Let's go. Beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, Hector. Yay! Next week, we'll be recapping episode 20, The Siege of the North, part two, with the author and artist of the first five Avatar graphic novel trilogies, the incredible Jean Luen Yang. Follow us on social media. I'm at Janet Varney on Twitter, at the JV Club on Instagram. You are at Dante Bosco, basically everywhere, Everywhere, right? except for on TikTok, at Dante. See everybody next Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.